Let me throw you off a little bit. Let's go to John chapter 15. Let's continue our series through the Gospel of John. I postponed that this morning because I felt led of the Lord to give what I gave this morning. I hope that came across right. I sure didn't mean it to come across as I think somebody's wrong or this or that. And so we're going to shift this morning's message to now because I wanted to at least preach what I had studied. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't have time to study for another sermon. All right. So here we are in John chapter 15. We are studying Jesus's discourse to his remaining 11 disciples on what will be the night of his betrayal. Let's read verses 18 through 27 of John chapter 15. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. For he that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none of the man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. For believers who are saved early in life, it might could be a little bit puzzling as how the world could hate Christ. But there are many Christian paradoxes found in the Word of God, enough that I would love to do a series on it sometime. We just covered last week how Christ is the greatest friend anyone could possibly have, and yet we see the contrast here that the world hates Him. The very fact that the world can hate the one who left the glories of heaven, came to this sin-sick earth, robed Himself in flesh, lived a perfect life, went about doing good, performing miracles, shed His blood for the remission of sins, took our place upon the cross, gave His life for us, was buried, rose again just to save poor sinners. How can that Christ possibly be rejected and hated? The answer is simply, people love the pleasures of their sin. They don't like being told it's wrong or that they are wrong because they want to continue in their sin. I believe one of the most powerful sermons you could ever listen to is entitled Ten Shekels in a Shirt by Paris Reedhead. In one portion of that sermon, he recounts his time as a missionary in Africa and he said this, And when I got to Africa, I discovered they weren't poor, ignorant little heathen running around in the woods looking for someone to tell them how to go to heaven, but that they were monsters of iniquity. They were living in utter and total defiance of far more knowledge of God than I ever dreamed they had. They deserved hell because they utterly refused to walk in the light of their conscience and the light of the law written upon their heart and the testimony of nature and the truth they knew. 
When I got there, I found out they knew about heaven, but didn't want to go there. And they loved their sin, and they wanted to stay in it. This is the reason why Christ is hated by the world. Because they do not want to let go of their sin. John 3, 19 and 20 says, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Why is this the case? Why do people not want to come to the light? Because Satan is the prince of this world. Uh, He is the one who is blinding the minds of those. He makes a life of sin look appealing. He doesn't show you the end result of sin. He doesn't show you the drunkard passed out in an alley. He doesn't show you the drug addict who's lost everything. He shows you how good you can feel. He shows you all the good stuff about it. But he doesn't show you the end of it. And because Satan is the prince of this world, then he makes sin look appealing. And the Bible does say that sin is pleasurable for a season. But then there's payday. No doubt you've heard the saying, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you there longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And I want to tell you that's true. That's true. So the reason the world hates Christ is simple enough. And Jesus said in verse 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now look at verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. We find here the miraculous result of God's mercy and grace in taking those who will come to Him for salvation out of the world. Amen. We don't have to be like those that Satan has got a grip on. Amen. We don't have to be those who have no hope. We can go to God, we can go to Christ for salvation, and in His mercy and grace, He takes us out of all of that. Amen. He gives us the power. He gives us the victory. He gives us the means by which we do not have to live a sin-filled life. Ephesians 2, 1-5 through says, And you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The Spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. The mercy and grace and love of God. Through that we are taken out of Satan's grasp. Our spirit is quickened. We are made alive. This identifies us as Christ. Which in turn causes the world to hate us. Therefore Jesus says if you are of the world. The world would love his own. When we are Christ. We no longer belong to the world. But we all know those. Who testify to know Christ. And yet live no different than the world. First John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We are to come apart from this world. We are to be different. We are not to be conformed to this world. We are not to be drawn by the world. 
the cross now has a wondrous attraction for me. So Jesus goes on to say, Because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. I hope you're getting that there's supposed to be a contrast between us and the world. There's to be a difference. We are not to be like the world once we become a child of God. We don't talk the same way. We don't watch the same things. We don't hear the same things. In some cases, we don't dress the same way. We don't go to the same places. We don't consume the same things. Why? Because we've been brought out of this world. Don't expect the friendship of the world when you're a child of God. The two cannot go together. So don't expect that. In fact, James 4, 4 says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Just go ahead and mark it down. If you identify with Christ in such a way that your life reflects His life and your message is His message, then you will be hated by the world today to one extent or the other. Look at verse 20 for further proof. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. As we serve Christ, there will be persecutions along the way from the world. Most in America have never come close to the suffering persecution the way the early church did. They suffered persecution. So much so that it caused them to flee Jerusalem. Of course, we know God had a hand in that to spread the gospel to the world. But understand that people will speak wrongly about you. They will make fun of you. They will hate you. They will mock you. They will scorn you. They will resent you. They will bring accusations against you. They will do what they can do to discredit you. And they will disown you. Amen. I remember my time in the military and you want to talk about chilling a room. Wait till a squadron commander's call and they say, how in the world do we stop this DUI problem? And you let little Staff Sergeant Brooks up front raise his hand and say, I know everybody could get saved. (laughs) See, nobody wants the, the world hates that. But that's the answer. Matthew 10, 25 says, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? In other words, if they're going to call Christ Beelzebub, they're going to call you the same thing. But fret not. Look at the reason why in verse 21. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. I want to tell you tonight that all that we do is for Christ's namesake. It's for Him. That's comforting for me to know. There's no higher honor on this earth than being identified so close with Christ that you are despised as He was. In fact, you want to gauge your spirituality, that's a good way to find out. How much does the world accept you? Now, I don't mean we have to develop a martyr's complex. I don't mean we have to act unchristian in our approach just to get the world to hate us. I made another one mad today. I'm not talking about those who are so ugly about things 
that people just hate their personality. It's not really the message, but it's just them in general. <laughs> I just hate that guy. But unfortunately, people like that give well-meaning Christians a bad rap. And we all kind of get grouped into it. Uh, I'm talking about those who, in love and compassion and zeal and prayer, try to reach the lost. That's what we need to be doing. I'm talking about those who point out sin in hopes of pointing people to the Savior. I'm talking about those who are wise as serpents, yet harmless as doves. When these are still persecuted, these kind of people, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Matthew 5, 10 through 12 says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And in Luke, Luke's account, Luke 6, 22, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. It's nothing new. If people separate from you because you know Christ, Jesus said that would happen, but he said, blessed are you. You know what that means? It means we're happy. We're happy of the fact that we've identified with Christ. We're blessed. When our motives are pure, then it's for Christ's namesake. And if we are persecuted, then it is for Christ's namesake. And here's the thing. May it never be about us. It's not about my name. It's not about your name. It's about his name. First Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. You see, it's a blessing. It's okay. Don't be surprised when you're reviled for Christ's sake. But know that you're being blessed by God and that his spirit is resting upon you. Don't be ashamed to glorify God and Christ in your life. Don't worry about what the world's going to say about you. Amen? For those of you who work, you all work around sinners. And it's okay to glorify God. Listen, we're all, we're all still here because God wants us to reach sinners. That's why we're here. Or what's the point? Live unashamedly for Christ's namesake. Why is this so important? Because of Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, it's his name, Christ's namesake. That's why we are being told to be silent about that name. Because Satan is the prince of this world, and he knows that that name is the only name through which we can have salvation. So if I can tell a chaplaincy corps in the military, you can pray, but you can't pray in Christ's name. You see? And if we can push that, then Satan's agenda is going forward. This is why in the book of Acts, the believers were threatened not to preach in Christ's name. They were beaten and they were told, don't you preach in that name. They're released. And instead of them getting a woe is me complex, they were walking away. Praise the Lord. We've been beaten for Christ's sake. <laughs> There's no other means of salvation than through Christ. And if we get persecuted for that, then so be it. But we need to stay faithful until the end. 
Now we're given the reason for the world hating and persecuting believers in the last half of verse 21. Because they know not him that sent me. The reason is because the world doesn't know God. And in verse 23, Jesus says, He that hateth me hateth my father also. See, it's very important to understand that one cannot know the true God and then reject Christ. That is impossible biblically. Jesus has made it abundantly clear throughout the gospel, all the gospel accounts, that you can't have one without the other. You cannot have Christ without having God, and you cannot have God without having Christ. Why is this so critical? Because John has made this point many times as we've been going through this. There are religions who are convincing people that they can be right with God and bypass Christ. But it is a biblical impossibility. According to a real Bible, the Jehovah's Witnesses cannot be right. According to this testament of Christ, Mormons cannot be right. According to God's own words, Judaism cannot be right. And even though Islam believes Jesus was virgin born, that he was a prophet, that he ascended, they still bypass his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and therefore cannot be right. You cannot be right with God and reject Christ. Jesus makes it clear that if Christ is hated, then it's because God is hated. You see, one can have a God they invent like in the religions of this world, but when all is said and done, to hate the Christ of this Bible is to hate the God of this Bible. So how do these religions attempt to circumnavigate Jesus Christ? Well, here's how you do it. You write your own literature. You change the Word of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses have the ungodly New World translation to deceive the Mormons have what they call another testament of Jesus Christ to deceive. Judaism has their oral law contained in what they call the Talmud. Islam has the Koran to deceive. You change the criteria by changing the Word of God. That's how you capture people. That's how you deceive them. And when you deny Christ, you've denied God. Now let's talk about verses 22 and 24 because I believe it might be confusing at first read. In verse 22 it says, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. And then verse 24, If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus says twice here, They had not had sin. One, he says, if he had not come and spoken to them, and the other, if he had not done the works which he did among them that no other man could do. Does this mean so long as someone has not heard Jesus or seen his works, then they are without sin? No, that cannot be the case because God is clear that we are all sinners. 
And Romans 1 makes it clear that we are all without excuse because God's creation testifies of His Godhead. So what does this mean? They had not known sin. Well, let's keep it all in context. That's a good place to start. Who is they that Jesus speaks of? Well, Jesus only preached in Judea and Galilee, so it refers to those of Israel. More precisely, we find throughout John that the religious leaders are being addressed time and time again. Those Pharisees, scribes and elders, those who made up the council, they claimed to know God. They claimed to be the friends of God. But now that Jesus has come from the Father and spoken to them and worked among them, yet they don't believe Christ. So Jesus says, and and here's the key, I think, they have no cloak for their sin. See, they were able to appear righteous. They were able to look clean on the outside, but inward be full of dead man's bones. They were able to have a whited sepulcher, but inside have dead man's bones. They were able to look righteous, but Jesus says, now that I've come, now that they know of me, they have no excuse. They have absolutely no cloak. They can't sit there and say, yeah, we're friends of God, and we love God, and God loves us. And Jesus says, that's impossible because you don't love me. They were outwardly professing God. But within, they had denied Him. They corrupted His Word through vain traditions. In fact, we know through the Gospel account that they had refused to admit their sinfulness. And now, despite all the evidence to the contrary, they have heard Him speak and preach. They have seen His works. They they know that there was one that was supposed to come that was spoken of in the law the Psalms, and the prophets. And they knew that the Messiah was supposed to come. And now that He has come and they rejected Him, they can't hide that any longer. And in verse 24 He says, But now have they both seen and hated Me and My Father. So, the idea here is not that they would have been without sin, but the sense is that they clearly have sin because they have rejected the Messiah. There is no longer any excuse that they can offer Because Christ did arrive among them, and by extension, this applies to the whole world today. All of those under the sound of my voice today, there is no excuse. Amen. There is nothing you can say leaving this building. There is no cloak, because I'm sitting here preaching to you that Christ is God. And if you reject that, you're rejecting the truth. Let's look at verse 25. But this cometh to pass, that the world might be fulfilled, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me. Without a cause. We see here that those who hated Christ. Was nothing to be uh, surprised about. Because it was prophesied to come to pass in the Old Testament. The Bible said that this day was going to come. Back there in, in the Psalms. Jesus here. I think he's adding a little extra level of conviction maybe. Or emphasis when he says. Their law. Their law, the ones who hate me, it says that there would be one to come that they would hate without a cause. And, and I think maybe that's just a little bit of extra influence there uh, to get them to see some things. They should have been tuned into the fact that he was the Messiah. They should have known this. John 1.11 says he came unto his own and his own received him not. There are two verses in the Old Testament which could be the fulfillment of they hated me without a cause. The first would be Psalm 35, 19. 
It says, let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. The other, and I think is probably what Jesus would have been referring to is Psalm 69 in verse 4. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. And that certainly fits the Messiah. Jesus did nothing worthy of being hated. Amen. Yet he was hated by many. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Isn't it amazing that the one who healed the sick, the one who cast out demons, the one who gave sight to the blind, the one who opened deaf ears, the one who caused the lame to walk, cleansed the lepers, even raised the dead, that this one was hated. Isn't that amazing? And on top of all of that, he came preaching the gospel. He came preaching deliverance to the captives. And he came to give his life a ransom for many so that we sinners might be saved. Yet he was hated. And he's still hated today. Jesus loved his enemies. He prayed for them which despitefully used him. While on the cross even, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What makes people hate the Savior without a cause? It goes back to what I said earlier. It's loving our sin. It's interesting. People hate Christ because He addresses the very thing that needs to be dressed, addressed in order for them to be saved. People hate Christians because they will address the very thing that needs to be addressed in their life. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? We have to address the issue of sin or you can't be lost and need a Savior. And yet people are hated because that's the thing that you address. Because you want people to be saved. And yet that's what causes people to hate Christians in Christ. Because He addresses what needs to be addressed. And that's what we need to be doing as well. And so we address the sin nature. That which is keeping people from being reconciled is what Jesus addresses. So even in that... And here's the thing, because people say, well, that guy just hates me because he says I'm a sinner and that I'm going to go to hell. No, in telling somebody that, you're loving them. You're caring about them enough to tell them that they need to be saved. Now, why does Jesus have this talk with his disciples? Why tell them that they will be hated and persecuted for his name's sake? Why tell them that the world hated Christ first? Why tell them he was hated without a cause? Well, look at verses 26 and 27. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. This is important for them and us for that matter, because Christ expects us To be witnesses no matter the opposition. Jesus says they're going to hate you. He gives them all these things because he knows the day's coming that they're going to be looking to put them on a cross. And Jesus expects us to continue laboring for him. Amen. He doesn't want us deterred from the work even though the world's going to hate us. These 11 men here, they would be unique witnesses for Christ because they would be eyewitnesses. They walked with the Lord. They 
saw him, they heard him, and these men would be very unique. These were the men who were there from the beginning when Jesus said, follow me. And even though we cannot do the same in that sense, we've never seen Christ. We've never looked upon him with our natural eyes. But we can still be witnesses of Christ. Listen, people all the time, they they get kind of put out with this idea of, I don't know how to witness. Just tell people your testimony. Come on now. Are you saved or not? Then tell people what happened to you. Tell people what Christ did for you. You say, but I don't know what passage to take them to. Don't worry about that right now. Just tell them about the Lord and what He's done for you. All of God's children can at least share that much. We are to follow the example of Christ who kept on doing His Father's will. No amount of opposition is to derail us. No amount of persecution from educated minds is to make us doubt. No amount of threats from people of power is to make us back down. No amount of ridicule is to dishearten us. No amount of persecution is to give us the spirit of fear. And given what's happening in the, in the world right now, no amount of viruses is to keep us from telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to bear witness to a lost and dying world. God is still on the throne. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. For even hereunto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Come what may, we need to keep going forward for Christ. The Comforter has to testify of Christ through our lives. We need to reach souls for Christ and bring glory to the Father. Are you telling people about the Lord tonight? Or are you too scared? What's keeping you from telling others about Christ? Don't be discouraged today. Stand boldly on the side of Christ. What other hope does the lost world have? Aren't you glad somebody told you about Christ? That's the way God has intended it. Anytime there's unrest like there is from this virus we have a greater opportunity to share Christ with those who have no hope in this world. Let's pray.